Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. I am going to take advantage of the opportunity I have this morning to do the podcast, the Yartsay podcast, a little bit ahead of schedule. It's a busy week coming up with Yantam and all the rest of it. I have a lot of things to do in my show. And today is a mazel tov in the cat's house because my son Shmuley and his wife Dina had a baby girl yesterday. So, in honor of all these things, here we go. Today, um, I was looking for a yard site for this week. And... Uh, <laughs> I came across, I, I came with the following idea. Uh, I'm going to do something most unusual. It's a yard site, but may not be a yard site. It means it's a legend. The question is, is there any truth to it? It's a very famous legend. Uh, and it's associated with Shavuot. And I'm talking, of course, about the famous uh, Gerd Sedek Avram and Avram, or Count Patotsky, or one, Valentin Patotsky, who the legend goes with a very famous... Uh, let me put it this way. It was a Polish nobleman who converted to Judaism. Now, the uh, question is, did it really happen or not happen? And it's the most unusual story in terms of its reception um, because of the association of the Vilna Gong. You may have heard part of it in the past, not, but basically there's a story that goes along the following lines. We're going to the early 1700s in the old kingdom of Poland that I've referred to a number of times in these podcasts because all these famous rabbis were used to be living in that old kingdom of Poland, which no longer exists. This is the kingdom of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, which included Poland and Ukraine and Belarus and Lithuania and Latvia, a gigantic territory, which went out of business in the 1770s, but was a country uh, and a power even for quite a few centuries before that. And there were, that's where the main Jewish uh, population was located. Most of the Jews in the world lived in the kingdom of Poland. In yesteryear. If you're talking about the 18th century, you're talking about the time of the Vilna and the Baal Shem Tov. And the story goes as follows, that there was a certain Polish nobleman, that is to say, a young guy who was a member of a large Polish noble family. This part is true. The old kingdom of Poland I just referred to was usually called the Republic of the Nobles, which means that there was only one class in the country that had any say or power, and everybody else was subservient to them. This was the nobles, the aristocracy. There were about 18,000 nobles, if I remember correctly, altogether, but most of them were small fry. They didn't count. They owned a little bit of karka here and a little bit of karka there, you know, and they owned, you know, uh, some acres and maybe some peasants. The guys that counted were what they called the magnates. Not a magnet, M-A-G-N-A-T-E, magnates, which means people who own vast territories. Uh, I mean, Jaigundo territories. And uh, there were like three or four families at the very top of the pyramid who owned hundreds of thousands of acres. I mean, miles and thousands of miles. I mean, it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. And among the top three or four families in Poland uh, was Patotsky, Count Patotsky, uh, Prince Patotsky. This was a family that goes all the way back in Polish history, way back when. 
And just take it from me, by the time you get to the 1700s, uh, I remember they owned, listen to what I'm about to tell you, they owned 25% of Galicia. <laughs> that's a big territory. And that's only part of their holdings. They owned other territories throughout, I mean, large territories throughout the area of Ukraine and uh, northern Poland, Lithuania. My goodness. So we, we, you and I, you know, this is beyond our hasagas. The, 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 there were some of these Polish families that were at the top of the pile. And Patowskis were famous. They, were, they had official positions in the government and the society. So it's the creme de la creme, okay? And these are the Polish nobles who are highly Europeanized, and they owned zillion slaves, or peasants as they called them in the old days. They also owned a zillion uh, Jews, uh, meaning they owned them. Uh, the only thing is, as I've said many times, these guys were intelligent stewards of their own economic interests, and so the magnates like Potosky, they said, why should I waste a Jew working on a farm, you know, as a peasant? Just leave the Jew alone, and out of a bunch of Jews will come some, they'll be businessmen, they'll build up a whole store and a business and commerce, and the result is that I will prosper by getting, you know, skimming off the top, which is exactly what he did. There was a highly intelligent capitalism, or mercantilism, which is what they used to call it when I was young. And um, anyway, so imagine a member of this uh, top-ranked family in Poland, which has many uh, members and relatives and all the rest of it. If you're born into that family, you're born with, with a silver or golden spoon in your mouth. And the story goes that one of them, Valentin Potocki, uh, who lived in the first half of the 1700s, uh, was thinking of becoming a priest or something like that. And the story is that he encountered a Jew. Some say when he went to Paris. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of mice left to go along with it. But the, I'll tell you the, the heart of, of the story and, and the meaning of it beyond the specific uh, circumstances of the story. We do find... Um, in Catholic history, uh, X number of people down the centuries who were raised Catholic never really encountered the Bible because in the Catholic tradition you're not supposed to read the Bible, especially in the old days. You're just supposed to follow the teachings of the church. Obviously the clergy read the Bible, but not even all the clergy. It was just a, a few specialists. Now the people I'm talking about, once they started reading, reading the Old Testament, they start asking themselves questions. One of the questions is, you know, you can only have one God. It sounds like the Christians have something, uh, you know, more complicated than that. Here's another one. It says the day of the Lord is Saturday. How can we switch to Sunday? It's, it, it says that God wants you, you know, to refrain from certain foods and things like this. How could the New Testament simply uh, throw that out the window? And so on and so forth. I mean, even Jesus is supposed to have said in the New Testament that I didn't come to change any of the laws. So how can we change all the laws? Meaning, it's a dangerous thing sometimes, not often, but sometimes, for a good Catholic to start reading the Bible because he has too many kashas, okay? And um, it is a historical fact that from time to time, it has happened that people who did what I just told you came to the conclusion of their own that Christianity is wrong and Judaism is correct, that Christianity is some kind of uh, truncated or malformed uh, distorted form of Judaism, and why not go for the real thing? Okay, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and then these people would eventually want to become Jewish in one way or another. This is what we call a Gerzetic, meaning a Gerzetic is somebody who wants to convert, not to marry a girl or a girl to marry a guy, not for this, not for that, um, but simply to uh, because of the truth.
is the truth. And as I've said a number of times in these podcasts, in the Jewish tradition, we hold a Gerd Tzedek, which is not something you find so often. You hold a Gerd Tzedek to be in a very high madrega. Okay? That's why you pray three times a day. You say it in the Shemon Now, it doesn't say the Gerim, and it doesn't say what I call the Uh, because as the Rambam puts it so famously, there are like three levels of Gerus. The highest is the Gerit Tzedek, the person that does it, he or she, because they're in the search of the truth. And they become convicted. They, they're possessed by conviction that the Torah is true and Judaism is true and all the rest of it. As a Gerit Tzedek, that's a very high madrega. Uh, then you have the regular care, which is somebody who does it usually for some reason. For example, most often to get married. Boy meets girl, girl meets boy, Jewish guy meets a non-Jewish girl, She but she's willing to convert, and vice versa. So then... It's like, well, we weren't looking for this. We'd rather the Jewish boy met a Jewish girl or the Jewish girl met a Jewish boy. But the only thing is, it happened. And now what do you do? Well, if the non-Jewish partner, let's say, for example, a Jewish boy meets a non-Jewish girl in college, let's say, and they fall in love. It can happen. It does happen. And let's say she said like this. She's willing to convert, and, uh, and she promises to keep everything, and she does, and she does. The world is full of such people. They honestly... You know, they're, they're of their word. From now on, they're going to keep kosher, they're going to keep Shabbos, Tars Mishpachot, the whole business. They're going to send their kids to Jewish school, the whole business. So that's not called a geared tzedek, because what motivated her in this case was the fact she met the guy. On the other hand, if she does what she says, she's 100% Jewish just as much as you and I. And then you got the third madriga, which is, you know, somebody that she said she's going to do, but she's not going to do it, you know, or, uh, you know, what you find very often in these uh, very modern uh, type situations in which, you know, the non-Jewish partner will say she'll go along and keep it, or, or if it's a boy, but they don't keep it because, frankly, the Jewish partner doesn't keep it either. Then you have what you call, uh, because you don't know what to do with it. Like the Rambam says, it's a pachas, because you're stuck, you know, they might be Jewish, they might not be Jewish, and you end up with an Arab situation. But let's forget all that. Let's go to, to the first rank, Gerd Sedek. Uh, when you find a Gerd Tzedek, that's amazing, okay? This is a person with extremely high madrega. There have been, and still are, those people who are Christians, for example, who as a result of their reading of the scriptures and similar things, reach the conclusion of their own that the Jewish religion is the correct one, that they want to really have a relationship with God, and they formed the conviction in their minds that the way to do it is because, by becoming Jewish, uh, so, like I said before, these are historic facts. We can name people uh, down the ages that this has happened. The most, one of the most famous examples, which there's not a lot of records for, is Count Potocki, or I don't know if he was a count, but Valentin Potocki was a member of this extremely important aristocratic family in the old kingdom of Poland. So the story goes, and there are many versions of it, that he met this too, and you know, he started he started reading the Bible, he learned Hebrew, and became totally convinced that this is the way to go. And uh, the question was, how do you convert? In the 18th century, let's put it this way, there is no way that a basin somewhere was gonna be stupid enough to convert a member of the Petusky family. Because they'll be wiped out. You know what I mean? Once the once the nobles find out about this, they'll, they'll just destroy this Jewish thing. And who knows, it might put a, a, a have ripple effect. And they might launch a campaign against all Jews. 
which is why courts in Eastern Europe and Central Europe under these extremely tough Catholic regimes were very reluctant to perform conversions uh, throughout history. And it's, for, it's perfectly understandable because they could get in a lot of trouble. And if it's the 1700s, so what do you do? Then one could say like this, well, go in a non-Catholic country. Well, where would that be? Where are Jews in non-Catholic countries in the 1700s? Uh, Jews are not allowed in Switzerland. They're not allowed at that time into Scandinavia. Uh, in the northern Germany, the Protestant governments like Prussia were pretty doggone anti-Semitic. So where do you go? That leaves you two possibilities. You can go to England or you go to Holland, to the Netherlands. Well, you can't go to England. Why not? England's a liberal country. The Jews in England, when they moved there after Oliver Cromwell, convinced themselves. <laughs> I don't know how they came up with it. The Spanish, Portuguese, Jews, and then the others convinced themselves that they had made a contract not to convert any Christian. That's not actually correct, but this was something they really felt was part of their uh, uh, Judaism. And consequently, uh, it's a matter of policy. Uh, if somebody, some English person wanted to convert, they always say like this, no, we didn't want to do it because when we, we promised when we came to England, we were allowed back in, that we would not suborn or, or bring any Christian over to abandon the Christian faith. And so bottom line is, go to Holland, to Amsterdam. Because by that time, the time gets 1700s, the Netherlands uh, had a regime which, uh, in terms of conversion, they were a liberal on that point. And so Amsterdam became like a magnet if somebody wanted to convert, especially from a Catholic country. You went to Holland. And that's what this guy Potosky did. That's how the story goes. Uh, after he did that, so uh, I think he got married, or I can't remember exactly, but he made the stupid move of returning to Poland. This I'm just telling you how the story goes. Uh, some say he went to Israel for a while, but anyway, he moved back to Poland in the 1740s. And uh, he ended up living in Vilna. Now, I've not quite understood that because his family owned tons of towns, cities. Remember, these magnates owned cities. But they didn't own Vilna. Vilna was owned by another family. I can't remember. Maybe it was Chartarisky or something like that. But you understand what I'm talking about? Whole cities were actually, the whole Karka was owned by one guy, by one family. But for whatever reason, maybe he, he was there because Vilna was the center of Yiddishkeit, but it wasn't the only center of learning. Uh, was he attractive by the personality of the Vilna Gun? The Vilna Gun was like 20 when he moved there. Vilna Gun was born in the 1720s, and I'm talking about 1740s. So, I don't know, you know, maybe, uh, there's, but he, if, if the story is correct, then he lives in Vilna in 1740s, it's the same time as the Gros. Okay, so what happens? So he wants to get into learning, uh, you know, to learn Torah. And uh, I think the way the story goes is he moved, it, it, they said, listen, I know you don't know this, but Vilna was a big center of Catholicism as well, and they had... Catholic yeshivas, you know, uh, seminaries and things like that, and big churches, as there was a large Jesuit uh, population there. And so uh, the 2,500 Jews must have said, you know, the, the, the ground is hot over here. It's not a good place to stay. And so if I remember the story correctly, he moved to Lida, where I, I've been there, which is later on where they had a Mizrahi yeshiva. And this is in Belarus, not too far away from, uh, from Vilna. And then the story goes like this. He was learning... And some kid uh, came and was bothering him, like happens, <laughs> right? It's not unusual. Some little Pascaniak, and uh, he must have 
said, get out of here, get the heck out of here, or, you know, kicked him out or something like that. And the boy's father, I totally believe this, was so angry at this care for, you know, insulting his son or reproving his son, even though the son probably deserved it. He said, I'll get you. And he went and he told him, can you believe it? A Jew was Moser to the Catholic Church on this guy, uh, which is an unbelievable crime. And he was uh, discovered and arrested and then uh, submitted to, uh, you know, what we might call church counts, like an Inquisition type situation, even though he didn't exactly have an Inquisition over there. And by the time it's over, he's burned at the stake. That's how the story goes. It's also known that, I shouldn't say it's known, but a very important part of the story goes that he died a martyr's death, which means since he was from such an influential family, he could have gotten out of it by renouncing. He could have said I was temporarily insane, like Clarence Darrow. He could have said I was forced into it, meaning the family, this is how the story goes, the family was of, of such power that if he would only give the word, they could affect the, um, uh, what shall I say, the uh, judicial proceedings, and his life would have been spared, okay? And, uh, but he wouldn't. That's the story, uh, which means it's a real Kaisha attitude. That is to say, I, I want to be a martyr. And uh, it's a, there are many uh, versions of this whole business. Uh, according to some, they wanted to torture him. You know, Yaakov Emden uh, writes a few years later, uh, even though he'd be tortured to death, um, he didn't care. And, and the story, his mother, you know, begged him. I Meaning it's a very dramatic, almost melodramatic kind of story. And uh, he was very adamant. At the end of the story, he's burned at the stake. That's how the story goes. To make it better, he's burned the stake on the second day of Shavuos. So uh, that's how, like I said before, that's how the story is told. The second day of Shavuos, which makes it like perfect, because Shavuos is the day Matan Torah. This guy was Matan Torah, baby. Uh, second of all, Shavuos is the holiday. The second day of Shavuos is the holiday of the Gerd Sedek, correct? That's why we read uh, Megillus Rus. She is the archetype of the Gerd Sedek. Which book in the Bible talks about a Gerd Sedek? Seriously, which book in the Bible talks about a Gerd Sedek? Rus. She is the real thing. After all, she was a princess in Moab, as they say, and she could have had an easy life, and she wanders around with Nami, and she suffers poverty. We all know the story of Rus. So what's it all about? Uh, Gerd Sedek. And why do you read on Shavuos? Matan Torah. Because you and I, if we're born Jewish, so the Matan Torah you have is sort of like genetic. You know what I mean? Our ancestors did it, so we do it today. But a Gerd Sedek is, in his or her person, is now Makabal the Torah. And by them, it's a, it's a Shavuos. And they really say Nazim And that's why it's a, such a high Madrego. And so the second day of Shavuos becomes associated with the acceptance of the Torah in a Gerritzetic, very high-level uh, manner, very principled manner. And uh, here this guy, uh, Valentin Potosky, Mamash did it. Now, uh, his stories are, they burned him at the stake, they wouldn't let any Jews attend, and one Jew got there and he got a little bit of his ashes from the burned body, and he brought it to the Jewish cemetery, and he buried it later on there in the Vilnagon, and the tree grew. It's a, a whole bunch of stories over there. This became a uh, sort of hardwired and it's an integral part of Vilna Jewish folklore. Uh, mm -hmm. Used to be you go to the cemetery 
and you go to where Vilna Gaon is buried in the old cemetery before the Nazis and the communists destroyed everything. <laughs> and they say, here's the Vilna Gaon, and right next to it is the Gerd Tzedek. That's well known. It became a, a, a place of pilgrimage. People used to go there in Davin, like a saint site, you know, Jewish-wise. Uh, listen, the Vilna Gaon is a saint in that sense, and the Gerd Tzedek is a saint. So it becomes the, the, the intertwining of the Vilna Gaon on the one hand, and this Avram ben Avram, because he's a gear, a Count Potosky, or Valentin Potosky to be more accurate, uh, together, the Groh and, and, and the Gerd Tzedek, which is just fascinating. And out of that arose, uh, like I say, an entire folklore. Uh, there's enough mice for, for, for a maggot. I know a lot of maggots go and they, they play this whole story up. Uh, obviously, a lot of these stories are baloney. question is, is there a kernel of truth? Um, but I want to tell you, uh, the most interesting stories involve the tales they tell of uh, the interactions between the Vilna Gona on the one hand and the Gerd Sedek on the other. Now here, you, uh, I'm treading on, on, on thin ice because trying to be historical over here, if I was just giving, uh, I'm sure there must be tapes online somewhere where somebody goes and told kind of mices of the growing the Gerd Sedek. And who knows if it's true and who knows if it's not true? You understand? Um, this is this is the uh, problem with with uh, semi legendary uh, stories. Um, when the historians get on it, uh, they're they're doubtful. Uh, notice they claim it didn't happen for the simplest of reasons. Uh, there's a professor, uh, what's her name, Magda Teeter. I met her. She's not Jewish, but she's a Polish historian who's interested in Jewish things. I think she's at Fordham. And uh, she wrote a big, big article in which she, she's Polish. She's an expert in the Polish documents. She says, what is this story about Potocki? It's not written in the court records. It's not written in any Catholic records. It's not mentioned in the Poland of that time. Uh, where'd you get it from? It must be a Baba Misa. The Jews made it up. Uh, in other words, she's not anti-Semitic or anything. She's simply saying, show me, you know, show, show me the, the meat, as the expression goes. You know, where, where's your sources? And there aren't any. Um, it used to be said later on, they said there are no Jewish sources. The whole thing was made up by uh, non-Jews uh, much later. Uh, Professor Schneer Lyman uh, found a number of years ago in one of the writings of Yaakov Emden that uh, five or six or seven years after the incident, he's referring to it. Yaakov Emden wrote a book in 1756. The burning is supposed to take place in 1749. It's not that long afterwards. And he gives a whole description, like I said, a description, as I said before, that they tortured him, and it was a Garrett Sedek, and he didn't mind. So in other words, you see, right around that time, there are Jewish sources writing about it. On the other hand, Yaakov himself was not there, so you heard it from somebody. So you end up with, a, like I said before, a, a thicket, a real problem of historical accuracy. Uh, and the question we're all interested in, is there a kernel of truth to it? I'm just interested, many people are fascinated because of the Vilna Gong connections. There's a story that the Vilna Gong visited him secretly. There's a story the Vilna Gong said, I can get you out by using Kabbalah, which means, if that's true, that the age of, in his 20s already, the Vilna Gong could do magic. Kabbalah Ma'asit. You know, it's like the Arizal, not just to know uh, Kabbalistic literature, but actually, you know, make golems and things like that. In which case, the meaning is, he could have done something like, uh, what do you call it, uh, Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty. I just go mm-hmm. use Kabbalah. And then next thing you know, Kampatowski <laughs> would, would, would disappear from there and reappear 
in Israel or some safe place. And the story goes, of course, that Potovsky said, I'm not interested in uh, doing this. I want to die as a martyr in the state. Uh, you know, not as I want to do Kiddush Hashem and don't take it away from me, which is a very stark Polish aristocratic Catholic attitude. I myself could hear that, you know what I mean? That's, that's like a, me, me, myself, and I, regular Jew would say, listen, if you can beam me up, Scotty, and it's the Vilna Gordon, I'll take it. You know, why not? Why well, should I get zapped over here? If my father was in the, who was in the concentration camps in World War II, if somebody would offer him, I can beam you up, Scotty, and get you out of, uh, you know, Dachau, he'd say, yeah. But this guy was different. He wanted to, to, to go, which means that he really was very noble. Uh, the best story I like is the one that says that the Vilna Gaon, this is how the story goes, the Vilna Gaon, you know, uh, met him, maybe in jail or something like that, and he said, and maybe this is after he turned down the offer, and the Vilna Gaon said, I guess, wow, you're amazing, where do you get the Oymet slave? Where do you get this courage and this unbelievable determination uh, to die for a Yiddishkeit? You're not even born Jewish. We can't even say it's hardwired in your you know, genetics and your DNA, that, you know, Omdu Avosav Al Harsinai, What's what's shot with this? You know, you're a guy. And the story goes that the Patutsky answered him and he said like this. You know, and this is a good word in Shuas. And he says, we, we there's a famous uh Chazal, Sifri, that uh how's it go? Uh Hofimi Harparn Vasam Rivas Kodesh, that God first offered the Torah to all the Gaim and they turned it down. You know what I'm talking about. He went to the Arabs, and the Arabs said, what does it say? He said, no, no uh, killing or something like that. Well, leave us out. And the other one said, no stealing. Well, we can't do that. And the other one said, no znus. We can't keep it out. Only went to the Jewish people. They saw a bargain. They said, nasa Ishma, you know. But everybody else uh, turned it down. So it's a very famous. I, mean, I, mean, I know you know what I'm talking about. So wait a minute. So the story goes to Patutsky said like this. You know, when he went to Edom or to Yishmael, they didn't all turn it down. It was a majority vote. The nation as a whole said, this is too much for us, and we don't want it. So when he took it to Ishmael, the Ishmaelites said, it's not for us. Not all the Ishmaelites. Or when he took it to Edom, the Romans, they said, it's too hard for us. Not all the Romans. There were some, a minority, that wanted to take it, but they were outvoted. You understand? So, Geert Sedeks, like me, we are descended from that minority. <laughs> you get it? We are the ones who said, Nasim and Ishma as Goyim. Long, long ago, the only thing is, our nation wasn't so good to get it because the majority was against it. In the case of the Jews, the majority, the, the totality, all said Nasim and Ishma. And therefore, that's where we get our, our, our courage from, which is a great story. Uh, now, uh, so this is a very appropriate, shall we say, for uh, Shavuot's time. As I said before, to unco- uncover the kernel of truth is very hard. Uh, Professor Schneer Lyman, I remember, wrote about this, and he said there's something that there is historical sources for it, mainly this Yaakov Emna business, if I remember correctly. And he's an expert in these sorts of things. Uh, plus, I remember uh, that uh, if you look in the, what do you call it, Nachum Breslover uh, biography, Nachum Breslover lived, I don't know, 50 years later, and uh, it's very interesting. You can't trust the Hasidic thing in terms of historical accuracy, but nevertheless, here's somebody writing 50 years later. And the point he made was that we live in a time in which uh, a lot of Goyim, he says, uh, read the Bible, and uh, as he puts it, 
Motzim b'sefreim hefech amenosam. They find in their books, meaning in the in the Old Testament, the reverse of what the religion teaches you teaches them, and they conclude that the Christianity is wrong, and all of a sudden, nizgayer pisom. They just uh, convert, which means that you really this. What I'm saying now is very interesting. All during the hundreds of years that the Jews lived in Eastern Europe, which is the Kingdom of Poland, there was always a constant tiny stream of Glyam, of all sorts, who converted to Judaism and not to marry somebody. Uh, you know, a peasant here, a Catholic priest there, once in a while a big shot, maybe some member of some noble family. I mean, uh, and, and I don't know if it's Patotsky, but such things happened, and they're quite remarkable. Um, you, I remember, this just reminds me, Cecil Ross says, back in the Spanish Inquisition period, I remember they sent some Jesuit priest or something like that to Mexico, which is part of the Spanish Empire, to find out about Jews. And as a result, he had to read up on religion, this priest who was sent to uh, persecute the Jews. And when he read, I don't know, the Old Testament or maybe other things about religion, he became convinced in the best Spanish style that Judaism is correct. And without anybody being there, he says, I'm, I'm going to become Jewish. And they burned him at the stake. And I remember the night before they burned him, he circumcised himself in the jail cell with a, with a broken chicken bone. Like, whoa, whoa. Uh, but that's how stark some of these people are. It's amazing that what, what pulled him in there. And Renachem uh, Breslover said, uh, let me, where is it here? I just opened it up. Gamer Gert Sedek, Shoye Bedoros Kodma Smuchim, before some mob. He's talking about Petoski. We heard about him, that he read the Bible and came to the conclusion that it's the reverse of Christianity. So you find these uh, phenomenon, and if this story is true or if it's not true, it is representative of a broad historical fact in which counterintuitively people who had nothing to gain whatsoever materially did uh, come to Judaism. I think I told you I was in Russia, in Soviet Russia, in 1983 when I got married. That was my honeymoon, uh, Karen and I. And uh, I remember being in the synagogue in um, Moscow, main synagogue. And, uh, you know, the whole place was lousy with KGB junk over there. Every second person was a spy. But there was this unusual-looking guy without a beard, in the corner, davening away, very uh, seriously, and, you know, nondescript. And they told me, he's a Gertzedek. So imagine, in Soviet Union, in, in post-war Soviet Union, does somebody want to be Jewish? And I mean, an Orthodox Jew and go to Shul, with all the negatives that it applies in terms of how the society is going to treat you, you do, I, I know what the person's story was, but you do find the Patotsky, you find the Gertzedek's out there. Now, as I told you before, now I'm going to tell you something funny, which is remarkable. It has to do with Allah. There is a, a, a story that goes, and I saw this in the Mishnah Bura, believe it or not, with the Nebensal notes. With the Nebensal notes. And, uh, and here's how it goes. Uh, here's something practical you can use. Do you wake up in the morning and have the Negovasa right next to your bed? That's the firm thing to do. Or do you say, no, I'm going and I go to the kitchen or the bathroom or wherever and you do Negovasa there. So a lot of people do the second. So you think because you're a sloppy American, you don't care. The real from you have to be right next to the bed. 
Well, he said like this. This is how the story goes. That whereas previously, before the 18th century, you're supposed to have the water right next to your bed. Now it's okay to treat your whole house like Dalanamas because you can't go Dalanamas without Negobuster. And therefore you can wash somewhere in your house. Uh, what do you do with the rule that you shouldn't literally walk four feet? Why do you say the whole house has a den of four feet? Four Dalanamas? And it goes like this. The Vilna Gon said that nowadays you can be Megal. Listen to this. Because ever since the Kiddush Hashem, the martyrdom, that this guy was burned at the stake, Patutsky, that was such an unbelievable high mitzvah that it it weakened permanently the Kochas the Sitra And therefore, the Kochas no longer are as potent as they were previously. And they're weakened to the degree that uh, your whole house can be considered Dalanamas. And you don't have to immediately emerge from bed and wash that instant. You can, uh, you know, take a minute or so before you do Negolasser. And you don't have to worry about the Ruch HaTumah and the Sitra Achwa attacking you because they're no longer as strong as they once were. Oh my goodness. If this is true, then the story of Patutsky is of meta-historical importance. I mean, we just described, from the Ruchni's point of view, one of the key moments in, in the history of the world. Uh, I know it expressed itself in a, you know, not a, what would to the outside person seem not a serious way. But if you understand what I'm saying, and I think you do, he's making like a mega statement over here. Uh, and Shalom uh, Zamanarbach says it. Like I said before, I noticed this in that uh, Mishnah board that comes out with the Nebetzal notes now. And they're, they're, they're selling. And, you know, it's a nice edition of Mishnah board. My Shul, I don't have it, but my Shul has it. And um, Bernie Liebtag got it for us. And it's ever it close with Shlom Zalman Arbach in saying this, which is uh, indicative, as I said before, of the fact that this uh, incident, uh, was, first of all, is believed, you know, by the from, and second of all, uh, is regarded as a moment of extraordinary importance. Now, this makes no sense to me. I'll tell you what I mean. Is this guy the only guy that ever died of Kiddush Hashem? No. Is he the, the the greatest hero that ever lived? No, I'm serious. I'm not being funny now. Have we had down the centuries others like him that suffered and were tortured and did so willingly uh, for Gerdsetic purposes, for Kiddush Hashem, because of absolute commitment to the, the, the truth and, and love of God? We have such people, right? There are such people. So why is it that this guy who was killed in 1749 was Poel on the Kokozatuma and really affected like a mega, what's the right word, cosmic uh, effect that, uh, that, 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 who, whose, uh, you know, aftermath we still live with today. Why not somebody living in the time of the, of the Crusades? Why not somebody living in the time of the Roman massacres? I don't know the answer to that. I can only surmise, since we live in a Vilnagon era, Anything involved with the Graw is considered super mega important in the Yeshiva world. And this has become associated with it. I saw the, the Yim quote the Chavetz Chaim is supposed to have said, oh, if people would have said, when, when he said Shema Yisrael when they burned him, if uh, there would have been a minion there to say, oh man, then the Mashiach would have come right away. I mean, that was the most remarkable 
stories. There are many other stories that go along with it, but I'm not a maggot, so I don't want to tell a bunch of mices. Because we know if the story's true, it's possible the whole story's baloney. It's probably the whole story never happened. On the other hand, it's quite possible it did happen. And it's, uh, uh, what should I say, located itself so strongly, so strongly within the, from memory, that it's actually become sort of like a, like, like a reality of its own. And uh, now I'm going to ask you, do you wash you know, next, with the negobasa next to your bed, or do you wash, you get up and you go uh, you know, to the sink or something like that? Uh, the power, as far as I'm concerned, the most powerful part of the story is twofold. It does represent um, a, a historical reality that we did have people like that, and still do, that don't mind the greatest suffering, all the risk, it, once they become convinced in their own mind that the Torah is the truth. We do have geared cynics. That's number one. And always had. And there were people there were people who converted to Judaism in the middle of the Holocaust. Can you believe this? There weren't many, but there were people like that. Matter of fact, the brother of one of the top German generals, Munstein, was like that. It's, it's incredible stories. So this story of Kampatowski represents a, a historical reality broadly conceived. And number two, it's very fitting for Shavuos, isn't it? When he said that line, he represents the minority of the nations that accept the Torah. That's a very powerful uh, kind of a tale. So uh, leaving this story uh, hanging there in a, and maybe acquainting you with its, uh, you know, with its providence, with its uh, details, I hope will enhance your Shavuos, and that will take care of our yard site for this week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.